You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole, coming at you from an undisclosed location there in the galaxy far, far away because, well, we're on the run. And I'm excited to have this motley crew of Bad Batch boys with me. I'm so glad. Bruce Gibson, you're back in the 602 Club. I know. I can't remember the last time I was here, but it's great to be back. I know. I mean, we're recording all the time with Literary Treks these days together, and that's always a blast. But yeah, having you back to talk some Star Wars just feels right. Yeah. Actually, now I think about it, I think I was on last time I was here is for The High Republic. I think the first book. I think that was the last time I was here. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that might be the case. And uh, of course, you know, if we're going to talk Star Wars for the most part, it's in the contract. One and only Jedi Master John Mills has to be here contract is an interesting word for matt won't leave me alone about it but sure i'm glad to be back too and uh sitting here in the 602 club you know <laughs> you know i'm just gonna keep berating you uh about the fact that you know half the shows that you've been on especially this year and even last year were series that were your idea so uh yeah who won't let yes you're right who I, have alone? Great ideas. I don't know matt just admitted it on the air i have great ideas there you go there you go. <laughs> mm, say great ideas. Anyway, uh, you we can would, find us would. all over the place. Uh, you know, wherever you're getting your podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you get the show as soon as it drops. If you do happen to be a part of Apple Podcasts, we'd love to have a star rating review from you. Help people find the show. Help the show continue to grow. Uh, thank you to everybody who listens to it. It's it's always a pleasure to be here with you. You could find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. So please follow us and interact with us there. We love that when people do that. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. So follow us there as well. You can find uh, all the entire network over on Trek.fm, the website. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek.fm. Listeners only discussion group there called the Babel Conference. You can join on Facebook and talk to listeners from all over the world. And then maybe you'd like to send us an email. I, You know, people still send emails these days. Uh, you can go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to Christy and I. And then we can answer your question or maybe you've got ideas of uh, something you'd like to hear us talk about or something like that. So that would be great. But um, kind of gave it away we're going to be talking about the first season of the bad batch which is the animated star wars follow-up to the clone wars from some characters that were introduced to us in the last season of the clone wars the final season and so guys before we got into anything else one i wanted to ask you what you thought of those episodes real quickly and did that make you then excited for a show that they announced coming out called the Bad Batch. Yes, it did. Because I remember when I saw those episodes, I actually liked The Bad Batch. I heard a lot of people online not quite caring for them that much, but I actually thought they were kind of fun. And then when I heard the series, 
that got me excited because I thought it would be interesting because they all have different personalities. And I was hoping that they would explore them what happens after the Clone Wars, which we are getting in this series. So it met everything that I wanted. All my expectations were met. Uh, you know, I I was excited for them in the it was it became pretty obvious early on that it was going to be a backdoor pilot for something. Right. That, why are you going to bring in these four characters uh, in the last season of a show just to have them as a one off arc? It, it definitely made sense for them to go on. And I I will flat out say I fell in love with the characters right away and in particular. And this will be a theme through the night wrecker. I fell in love with wrecker immediately. And uh, like, cause that's just the type of fun, silly, zany character. And zany is an overstatement, but that's just the fun, different, uh, you know, silly character that I like. Yeah, you did. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and well, and then, and then when Anakin gave him the, the controller and he's like, here you go, Wrecker, you get to, he's like, oh yeah. And he like blows it up. I was like, it felt like. Uh, you know, just watching those old action shows as a kid and, you know, and down to the fact that you had somebody that, that was like, uh, you know, looked like Rambo and all, you know, all of these other things. Like I was like, wow, I really dug the vibe they were going for. So, yeah, worked for me from the get go. You know, it's so funny because, uh, John, this is, uh, I think, in some ways on you as to why I really kind of gravitated towards the characters for the Bad Batch. And it's because of some of the things we had covered on the 602 club together especially like predator where you know you had these 80s action films like that and these characters are directly kind of lifted from those ideas you know they're homages to those those 80s type of shows or like the a team and those kind of things and so i really Something about the way that it was done, and I think, you know, we've talked many times, John, you and I, especially on uh, aggressive negotiations, that Star Wars is about, especially with the Clone Wars, it was about taking genre things and, and doing the Star Wars version of that. And they did that so well with those characters that I was totally ready for them to do this as a series. And I think it makes for you know, a fascinating way to follow up the Clone Wars then. And we'll we'll talk about some of that as we get into it. But, you know, they really open the show with a big opening. They give us a massive, you know, 90-minute episode, you know. Uh, and so, uh, I guess it's a 60-minute episode, right? Uh, I think it was yeah. somewhere in yeah. between. So, I mean, it, it's, it's somewhere around somewhere there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost it like, like an seven, animated whatever. film, you know. And... This gives us the end of the Clone Wars and kind of basically what the rest of the show is going to be in a nutshell. And so I wanted to ask you guys, you know, just kind of starting off the show, especially with the way that they do it by letting us see a character that we know from a, a show we've seen before. Uh, how did you guys feel about the way that this set the tone for the series? I thought it said it really well. First of all, when I think about this first episode, I think of how it starts off. We have the narration, like it's the Clone Wars. We have the Clone Wars logo that comes up that burns into the Bad Batch logo. So you feel like you're entering a Clone Wars episode, but then you realize, nope, this is the Bad Batch. This is something different, but there's some connection to the Clone Wars. And I did enjoy the story that we got with this known character from Rebels, 
uh, who was younger, who sounded a bit older than a kid, but still worked for me. That doesn't fit with the Kanan comic exactly, but that doesn't bother me either. So I thought it was a great way to connect the tissue between this group of characters and what we're seeing in the fall of the Jedi, because we know what Kanan had experienced or Caleb experienced at this time with his master. Yeah, I I thought it was a great way to to start it off. I think that the fact that it continued that trope from the Clone Wars, like you said, Bruce, with the voiceover, that was it, it, it's good because so much has happened. Uh, you know, in addition to the Clone Wars having you know come to pass and, and and all of those sorts of things, that it I think that it helps to immediately root you back to that time frame. You immediately reset. And you know it's not rebels anymore. You know it doesn't tie to anything else. You're right back in that that time frame. And I know that there were there. You said Bruce, it doesn't bother you, and I know that's true. But like, I know there were people that it did bother that they sort of recast Caleb's uh, backstory a little bit so that he could work into the narrative. And something like that actually made me happier uh, from the get go, specifically because. It showed me that they weren't going to feel bound by material that only hardcore fans were going to be along with, that they were going to make this effort to have story decisions that worked best for the characters and the situations, as opposed to feeling beholden to previous material. And by previous material, I mean previous non-on-screen material, because that's always been the rule. Lucas threw out pieces of the eu left and right with the prequels and stuff like that and people didn't really complain about that it was just an accepted state of being and so i like the fact that it makes this open declaration you know from the get-go but really what i think was the the best part of the opening the thing that made me most excited was the fact that they immediately went into the fact that crosshair wasn't going to be down with the good guy vibe that we want for these characters. It was immediately visible that Crosshair's allegiance to the team would be in conflict with his allegiance to his mission and or his perception of his mission. And so they didn't, when Crosshair betrays them later, it's not a surprise per se. It's been dutifully set up in that opening. And I think that you know, you pair that with some just stunning visuals that happened uh, in that first episode. You know, it just worked really well. And, and not only is it not a surprise, but to me, it was a relief because at the same time, I thought, mm. I just don't want to hear Crosshair always arguing everything that they do, like everything they decide to do. Uh, we shouldn't do that. So it was great that they could separate the two and set up the situation they did instead of him always being there complaining <laughs> because I was like, this might get a little old. I hadn't even considered that. That's a great point. That is a great point. Well, and I also think that one of the things that it does is that it immediately gives us this opportunity to explore the fact that you would have people make different choices. You know, you would be able to see a character who chooses the Empire. And it's something we kind of talk at the very end about, you know, because that's really where the series ends is the choice that Crosshair is going to make. And, you know, but this sets that up. Part of that is that, you know, here, too, Tarkin specifically calls out that Crosshair's inhibitor chip, he wants it enhanced. 
you know, he wants the feelings that this clone has um, to be enhanced. And if they can do that with Crosshair, then they could do it with all the rest of the clones and make them even more compliant um, than they already are. And so it really kind of sets up this whole thing that's going to be playing throughout the entire series in this first season, which is what happens to the clones? We know they get phased mm-hmm. out for recruits, uh, but how, how how does that happen? How quickly does that happen? And this kind of sets that up with of Crosshair being the, the person to which the Empire is going to be looking to to see, is it worth continuing with clones? Or do we go to, you know, recruits? Is that easier? And so I think that's fascinating to me. Um, and, and I mean, you guys called it out, but I mean, having Caleb Dune, I mean, it was just heartbreaking watching that whole scene where he watches his master die. You know, he's being chased by the clones. Uh, the, like you, John, you called out the visuals of this series continually just get better and better with every episode. They're so great. Um, but that scene, you know, at the waterfall, you know, when they're both looking mm-hmm. back at each other on either side and there's this great chasm that's, I mean, just visually, it's so beautiful. The idea of there's a chasm now between the clones and the Jedi. And yeah. uh, it's it's such a beautiful visual representation of, of what's happened. And yet, then the Bad Batch are going to be these characters, except for Crosshair, who are the exception to the rule, just as they have been the whole time, which is that they are not going to be susceptible to this, well, we'll talk about record later, but they're not going to be as susceptible to this, the others. And that leads to where this show is going to go, which is they're going to be on the run. And part of that is because of the mission in, in the episode where they're sent to Onron to try and take out Saw Gerrera, which, again, is another incredible callback to the moment the Empire is instituted, Saw Gerrera is the character who's like, screw that. That is not happening on my watch, and I will die before I see that, you know, continue. So, you know, which, of course, sets up all that we know from Rebels, all that we know from Rogue One. I mean, it's it's a wonderful, and, and that's, I think, the thing that I got from this opening was that the Bad Batch was here, which is continue to glue Star Wars together. We're going to try and bring things together uh, in a really interesting and fun way. We've all wanted to see the dark times. Now we're going to get to see it, but we're going to do it not just to say, hey, fans, here's the dark times. It's We're going to use this as an opportunity to continue to glue every part of Star Wars together and make it much as cohesive as possible. And that I really love. Just in those terms, I really think that... Um in terms of those callbacks, in terms of what you're saying, you know, stitching everything together, I think what's really important is that they stitch those things together and they bring everything together without it being, I'm looking for the right word. Bruce, maybe you can help me out, but basically you don't, you don't need to know who Caleb Doom is, is going to be. You don't need to know that Tarkin is going to command the Death Star. You don't need to know that Saul Guerrero is going to be the guy that shows up in a later movie. If you've seen those things, then you get that little, yeah, all right, there they are. But they work for the story. They're not shoehorned in. 
it's not this decision to suddenly make it where they, uh, you know, you know, like that the character doesn't make sense that they're there. Everything works. Everything uh, in, in terms of those tie-ins is a sensible story decision. Yeah, because all these characters are ingredients to the story of Star Wars in the galaxy. And that's the one thing I've really started thinking about earlier today is the Bad Batch isn't a story about these clone troopers that are on their adventures. We are seeing the story of what happens at this point in time in the Star Wars galaxy, and it's all the threads that connect to all the different stories we've had throughout Star Wars. So we're just on this journey with them to learn what happens during this period of time that links the Old Republic to the Empire and so on and so forth. So seeing these characters from other shows and other movies makes sense because that's the thread that connects everything together. And to your point, John, you don't need to know who they are. You just need to know what their purpose is to the story. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a really good point. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, because obviously this big opening gives us the reveal of a character to which we're going to be following their story, which is Omega. And I was fascinated to obviously get a clone who not male, but is female, and is, we learn later on, is actually older than all of them. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you, we'll talk about her character in full, but how did you feel when we basically have a new Ahsoka dropped in her lap? I love how you said that. (laughs) Because I thought the same thing. It's like, oh, it's like we did with Clone Wars. We added Ahsoka. Because you also have to have that kid that appeals to the younger viewers of a cartoon series. And you always have to have something cute in there with robots or creatures and such. But I thought it was very clever because Boba Fett at this time is about the same age. And it would make sense that if they make this alpha, which is Boba out of Jango Fett, they'd also want to have something like that as their own that isn't altered to have this growth growth acceleration going on because they want that pure DNA that they have in this being because Jango Fett's not always going to be around. Right. So I thought that was really interesting. So it's not just, oh, let's throw a little girl in this to appeal to the younger audience. She has a purpose there. And it is cool that she's older than the clones. Yeah. And that and that we find out that she was there when they were being modified yeah. that she so it it really is. I think um, I think where she really excels and, and, you know, again, Matt, you know, calling her, you know, the new Ahsoka is right because she's the she's the conscience of these clones in a lot of ways. The way that Ahsoka was the conscience of Anakin and Obi-Wan of, hey, guys, you know, this is. This isn't really what we're supposed to be doing, is it? Isn't aren't we supposed to be focused on X, Y, or Z instead of what you're thinking about right now? And so she really helps ground these characters. And I can say, you know, and I know how trite stuff like this can sound, but uh, you know, and Bruce, I think you might feel the same way. Like seeing it get set up where it's uh, sort of a, it's another space family, but it's sort of an examination through several different facets of the father and brother figure as relates to Omega and just having that, that father who's in over his head sort of role and the father who wants to be the fun dad. Uh, and you have the, I mean, I'd say tech acts more like a, a, an older brother, 
you know, like, so there, there's, I think there's just that interesting dynamic because Star Wars has always been about examining the role of the family and the found family too at that. And so I think that Omega basically unlocked all of the potential of this because without Omega, this show just becomes, okay, the clones are going on missions every week and the empire is rising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Omega gives them a reason and the, the audience a reason to care and to feel out of sorts. Omega is the presence, uh, the constant presence of danger, not danger that she presents, but she needs to be protected from. And we know that they're after her. We know that they want her for some reason. And we also know that there are machinations from the Kaminoans to get her out of there so that the empire can't have her. And so there, there's like layer upon layer of these sorts of things. And to think that it's all contained just in this one single, you know, girl character is again, like I really look forward to watching her grow up the way we watched Ahsoka grow up. You know, up. when you're saying that it made me wonder, is she the MacGuffin in this series? They're all after her. Hmm. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. Because our, our characters want to protect right. her. The Kaminoans have their own designs on her. The Empire seems maybe tangentially aware of her. They're not quite sure what she is either. And so you almost have um, even a callback to some 80s stuff where it's like, you know, the special child that that the, you know, the hero always has to protect or uh, get to safety or something like that. And so that's even a callback to the 80s stuff that we grew up with. Reminds me a little Willow. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I love the way you guys talked about it because I, I really think of it, it really becomes the Omega factor, you know, in the show, mm -hmm. which is that she changes the course of these clones' lives dramatically. It's not just about survival for themselves, but it's also about the protection of this child, to which they themselves are also trying to figure out. You know, it's not just... It's not just, you know, uh, the Empire wants her or, you know, the Kaminoans want her. They are wondering who this this kid is and what it's all about, you know. And, and of course, you know, like, when they find out the fact that she is older than they are, really, even though she doesn't have a growth of acceleration, she's actually been around longer... You know, she was there when they were enhanced in the sense that their their genetic, quote unquote, deformities were enhanced to make them what they are, which is Clone Force 99. And uh, it it I think what it does is it helps the finale of the show to be much more painful because we're watching it through her eyes right like because this was her home this is all she knew you know and so mm -hmm. you have that to have that character brings that all uh really to bear on the audience because we've been so much of this is about us experiencing it through her eyes ahsoka was that way you know, when we get into Rebels, Rebels is that way through Ezra's eyes as we're kind of experiencing the rebellion through his his point of view, you know, and e even in some ways how, um, you know, with, with the Mandalorian, mm. maybe Yoda has a point of view that we all enjoy watching from as he watches this bounty hunter do his thing and tries to figure things out, you know. So Star Wars is very good about and 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 that comes from the original 
movie, which is Luke Skywalker was the person whose eyes we saw all this through. But isn't it interesting as we've gone through the series and the evolution of Star Wars and Ray is sort of an outlier. So let's let's table discussing her as part of this for now. But when we are introduced to that young character, again, setting aside Ray, Luke's the oldest of the bunch. Right. When we encounter Ezra, when we when we encounter Anakin, when we encounter now Omega, they're always a lot younger. And it's almost as if as Star Wars got older, the uh, the the key character, not necessarily the protagonist, but like the key character got younger. And so I find that really interesting because, of course, you know, we all know the famous lines like it speaks to the 12 year old and all of us sort of thing. And I wonder if there's a sincere emotional component to that, because we all, even as we get older, we can remember back to that, that magic time where we suddenly had to mature. We suddenly started seeing the world as a bigger, scarier, weirder place than childhood had led us to believe it was. And so I just, I think that's interesting. Just while we're sitting here talking about Omega, it hadn't really occurred to me before, but she is, the latest in a line of characters where it's, you know, right in that sort of like a tween sort of area where it's like, wow, okay, the world is just starting to get bigger for these people. And so it's a really interesting character to throw into that. Mix. Well, it's like Matt said, we're seeing these characters through Omega's eyes. And yeah. so as we get older, it's almost like Lucasfilm is saying, remember when you watch Star Wars as a young kid, like re look through the mm -hmm. young child's eyes at what's going on. Because if you're looking as an adult, you may not see the magic as much as you did when like you when you were a kid. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I think it helps adults recapture the magic and it helps kids latch on to the magic for the first time. Uh, you know, and uh, I think that there's something really smart about that, you know, and because it reminds us to see through those eyes again. You know, uh, John, you've talked about this many times and how, you know, uh, when we turn on certain movies, we kind of can be transported back into the, you know, seven year old we were when we first saw the movie, you know, just because that's what happens. You know, that's what makes movie so indelible from such an early age and i think that's something that that happens then and they've found is really important with star wars to help us in that and so yeah i think that's a really good call and i think the thing about the show too was that it it gave us a certain point of view so for the clone wars coming to an end we're actually getting to see it as well through the eyes of clones, the people who mm -hmm. were most, I mean, other than the Jedi, the ones the most involved, and seeing what happens with the Bad Batch as the Empire takes over, and we get things like chain codes, we've seen clones like Howitzer, uh, you know, who don't have their chips removed, that can see what the Empire is doing wrong, and I think, you know, it is fascinating to watch just how quickly the Empire begins to make their mark and just how welcome it is to most people with very few dissenters. Like, we quickly slide into, in the galaxy mostly, into groupthink. And I think 
It has been a fascinating thing to me to watch this through the eyes of these independent clones who have been so used to their independence and how, as so many times with Star Wars, it is so relevant. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, on two fronts. One, I, I like you call out the, the clones losing their independence, right? Because you wouldn't think that the clones would be so unique. And that's something that the Clone Wars did that and that the Bad Batch has done with our, our core clone characters is they all have their unique personalities. They have their nicknames. They have who they, you know, we can we can tell as an audience clones apart from each other. But then with the rise of the Empire, the actual individual beings who are born in the very, you know, usual manner, they become less distinguishable from each other. And I think that, you know, it it very much reinforces where Palpatine says when he takes control and he says, you know, for a safe and secure society. Star Wars is always a history lesson too. going back to, you know, Lucas's earliest motivations and what better lesson to teach than the desire for safety and security and peace will make people give up just about anything just so long as they can feel safe. And, you know, that's repeated throughout history, like over and over again. And so it's it, like it's it's a timeless sort of thing that then can spur some discussions. You know, if if a kid is watching it and, you know, the, the parent is watching it with them, you can say, yeah, look at that. You know, there were a few people that complained about chain codes, but yeah, they came in pretty quick because everybody said, sure, sure. You know, if it's going to keep everything at peace, why not? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. What I loved about this was there there is a sense of of this undercurrent that you see of people not necessarily all being happy about it, but you know going along with it because it's 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 fine, it's fine, it's fine, you know, and this this willingness to like talk ourselves into it's fine because, oh, you know, I mean they. They've got to have our best interest at heart, right? You know, and we they, we haven't seen the light yet of that ultimate power corrupts ultimately, you know. Uh, and they the the rest of the the galaxy doesn't understand where the, the they're headed. And I love this idea, and I also loved, you know, I think one of the most powerful stories that I saw. In, in the series was watching Howitzer who has not had his chip removed and yet can see what's gone wrong. And, and, and it, what's beautiful about it is how it applies to the rest of the Clone Wars in the sense that these clones have become so individual because of their connection to the Jedi who allowed them to have names who allowed them to color their armor and do different things with their hair and all and, and encourage them to be individuals um, and who have spent time with other people. You know, how it's sort of spending all of that time on Ryloth, getting to know the people so that the moment he sees the people being oppressed, it still doesn't jive because that's not what the chip is for. You know, the chip is it was to make him compliant to kill the Jedi Masters. It wasn't meant to make him compliant in everything. And so there's this sense of that 
the legacy of the Jedi continues through characters like Howitzer who are able to fight the quote-unquote programming of this groupthink that's been forced on the entire galaxy because of what they learned. And I, to me, that was something that really stood out and I thought was really beautiful. And this really is a time of confusion because as you guys are talking, I'm just thinking everything, all the chips are, have been totally thrown in the air and rearranged. You know, if you're connected to the Republic, now you have to decide if you want to continue down that road because now it's the Empire. So do you become a separatist? But you were against the separatists. And then separatists were on their own. Do they want to join what was the Republic, now the Empire? And now we, it's the same thing with the clones. Do we go with the Empire? Do we fight what we feel? Do we go with what we feel? Like everybody's just trying to find their place because all the pieces have been totally rearranged. And so which direction do you go in? And I feel like that's what we're seeing in this is picking sides because it's all new. There's all new sides to choose from. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I like the fact that the, um, you know, that I, I think that the, the path that they've shown of that, that I always thought was sort of the inevitability of, it's the separatists that are going to become the rebellion, right? Like, I, I think that in and of itself is really interesting specifically because, you know, it, it harkens back to, again, episode three, there's evil on, uh, you know, heroes on both sides, evil, evil is everywhere. And so the separatists would be that group as well uh, that get tossed into that most disorienting place, like you're saying, Bruce, where it's like, well, wait a minute, the, the Republic rebranded, but I still, I still don't like the way that they're running things. So I guess I just keep fighting. And that's sort of the spot that Saul, we know Saul Guerrero is going to wind up in. You know, he's like, meet the, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I'm just going to keep fighting. This isn't what I was fighting for in the first place. And it's about sticking to principle as opposed to simply declaring a victor. And, uh, you know, so that, that's really something I really hope to see teased out through the course of the series is this idea that the separatists... I, I would I hope that they have more time spent with them where they find out they're still fighting and somebody says, why are you still fighting? And they say, don't you understand the war never really ended? The Republic fell, but we still didn't get what we wanted, which was freedom. You know? Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree. I think you nailed it. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that makes all of the connections that they do use in the series really uh, important. You know, I think especially with uh, one of the biggest is, is, you know, we, we see Hera and Cham and uh, Hera's mother there on Ryloth and their escape um, with the help of, you know, the Bad Batch in the end. And it's because, we have followed Ryloth, you know, from the first season of the Clone Wars. You know, Ryloth was one of the big planets that was rescued from the Separatists. And then we watched them all the way through the Clone Wars. And we've seen what happened in Rebels with them. And, and we know, you know, how important Hera is going to be. And so that Ryloth continues to be uh, an important, you know... Uh, place in the star wars galaxy in the sense of when it comes to rebellion you know the spirit of rebellion and i really love that we touched on this not just because it's hera but because of how much it 
connects with what we saw throughout the entire run of the Clone Wars with this planet and how important it was. Um, and it just, it worked really, really well. That was the episode that when I was watching it, I felt like it was regressing back to the Clone Wars and also to Rebels. Like it actually felt like a Clone Wars episode slash kind of Rebels episode because that just that first one on Ryloth, we briefly got the Bad Batch in it. We didn't really see much of them. They, you know, we see more of them later, but as I was watching, I was like, why are they focusing so much on this? And I thought, well, yeah, it's that world building. It's this galaxy building of telling those stories and really setting up the pieces for this to play out. And all the, all of us who were invested our time into all these different episodes and these different series, this is the payback for that. And it's the thread that connects. I keep talking about threads. It must be sewing today, but it's the thread that connects the hmm. Clone Wars to Rebels. Well, and I mean, I, I think. Like you said, those threads are getting woven, and one of the things that we see as well, and I loved, I was so glad, I thought it was really cool that we brought it Fennec Shand and Cad Bane, one, because Cad Bane's the best bounty hunter on the planet yes. uh, and the galaxy, uh, and, and Fennec Shand, too, fantastic to see, one, not only her in animation, but to see her early years as a bounty hunter here going up against one of the premier bounty hunters and them being on different sides of this issue. And, and I just, I, I loved that whole thing. And those were those, the type of connections where I'm like, I'm glad we're making this because it, again, it connects with where we've been. It connects with where we're going, but at the same time, they make great characters in and of themselves just to put in these episodes because they're iconic looking and they work for the story that we're telling here with the Bad Batch and these characters. Well, there's also, I think, just one of the most interesting layers of that Fennec Shand versus Cad Bane is it, even tabling the whole idea that Fennec Shand is working to try to protect what essentially is Boba Fett's sister. Mm -hmm. So you have to wonder, okay, who knows what, when, there, and how is that going to tie into the book of Boba Fett? But on top of that, you have basically Boba Fett's mentors fighting each other. And it's like, it's really kind of wild when you think about it, because Cad Bane has a hand in Boba Fett's development. We know that Fennec Shand has something to do with Boba Fett later in his life. And obviously, if she's active at this time, she's older than Boba Fett. And so, like, it's kind of crazy to, to to see that sort of happening. And, and then, you know, not... A, I mean, let's even set aside the whole idea. She's older than Boba Fett, but she seems younger than Boba Fett in in The Mandalorian. And it's like, I don't know if it's just because she aged very well, but she doesn't seem, uh, you know, as battle-hardened, I guess. Yeah, I mean, she's I guess aged sometimes... much better than Boba Fett, that's yeah, for sure. I, I guess not spending uh, time in the Sarlacc probably helps you... Uh, <laughs> recuperate yeah, yeah. Or, you know digestive juice, a little bit juices more. john or murder on your skin i imagine so i imagine i also so. think that boba fett in his later years had a lot of wings 
eating a lot of wings and drinking beer, so I don't think that helped you. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, I, 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 just as long as we're not entering into judgmental he's at, territory. He's, he's here, at Bruce. Moochie's Wild Wings. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> I'm down with that. All right, that works. That works. Oh my gosh! See, and that's I mean, come on, that was something where you made Return of the Jedi so much sadder at the beginning. When I realized that Luke kills Moochie in the end. <laughs> yes. So are we're sure that Moochie was the Rancor that they rescued? That was definitely... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys brought this up because I was thinking of bringing that up. I did go to Wikipedia and it does not connect Moochie as being the Rancor we see in Return of the Jedi. Not that that's the authentic place to go get that information. Is it possible... I, I wonder. Is it possible... Moochie is the parent of the Rancor. I mean, it could be. The Jedi. I mean, it could be. And w- but then you have a whole host of questions about like rank. I, I, let, let's not. That's a whole. I don't you know, want to talk about, about Rancor love. Yeah. No, we don't need to talk well, no, about not, Rancor. Not, love. Ra- not hot Rancor love. No, but like you know, in, in terms of, <laughs> was there like a herd of Rancors that Jabba was keeping, and maybe we could have another spin-off show where it's like the Rancors get out and wreak havoc in uh, Mos Espa. Are you saying that like Jabba that? was I mean, breeding Rancors? Is that was the business he was in? Maybe uh, is there <laughs> is there money in it? If there's money in it, why wouldn't he? Wow, fighting Rancors. What? Oh my uh, gosh! What if it's what if that's like um like cockfighting in the in the underworld circles? Is everybody has their like pet Rancors and they like you know like seriously? We never really pondered, and I know I'm going down a total a total rabbit hole. I'm sorry. No. But like, I'm just thinking like, did, did Jabba travel with the Rancor and then they would like throw them in the pits and they'd all have like fights and stuff Possibly. like that uh, just to see which Rancor again, we have another cartoon show possibility. We, I think we have an episode of the Bad Batch where they have to break up a Rancor fighting ring. Yeah. Can oh, you imagine geez. how much fun that would be for Wrecker? Yeah, Wrecker would be, be definitely one. Yeah, that, that's Wrecker's yeah. joy right there. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I. I kind of took it as that it was, you know, they were implying that Moochie was the one in, you know, Return of the Jedi, um, which made that sadder. But, uh, you know, I I also thought it was interesting. I mean, you know, we bring back in more characters from this, the last season of the Clone Wars, Trace and Rafa, who, you know, we, a lot of, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people didn't love their characters, but we get the distinct impression that these characters are working for Ahsoka. Uh, and um, using their connections uh, in connection with her, which I was really fascinated with um, because they're characters then that I would like to see more of. And, and because of that, I would love to see, you know, Ahsoka show up. Well, even if Ahsoka doesn't show up, I think that they're just good characters. Again, they're used the proper way. If I've never seen that last season of The Clone Wars, the characters still just work. They just make sense for the story. But then if I have seen them and I have that relationship with them, then, it, you know, it, it ties in. I don't I'll just parenthetically say I don't understand anybody's problem with the characters. I never have. I'm not saying, you know, good, bad or indifferent the other way. I'm just saying, like, I I don't understand what would ever be a problem about the characters. But, you know, I, I don't know. I I also like Jar Jar, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the characters. I didn't have a problem with them, and I liked seeing them again. So I'm just wondering as we're talking through characters that we could even see again. I mean, there is a chance we could see Grogu because he's 50 years old in the Mandalorian, and he's so popular. You never know if it works. We might. I don't know. 
I I think we could see an allusion at the very least to Grogu, you know, like so, something that drops a hint that something's happening with him because at the end of the series, you know, somebody goes someplace very special, it seems, and it would be completely believable that Grogu got out from there or was spirited out from there. Uh, so, you know, we'll see because that, that ending, we know that there's a lot of interesting stuff that could uh, spin out of there. Well, and I, I think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about this too is obviously we've already connected the the Bad Batch to Captain Rex and the fact that of what's, you know, what he's doing in all of this. And I thought, I think it'll be really interesting, you know, with him and Gregor and how they're going to connect all that together where these you know, they answer the question about how they end up on that planet that we see them later on and rebels and how they're all connected together with that. So, you know, I, I think the beauty of this is there are so many different places to play. And the other beauty is that the Clone Wars gave us so many characters to care about, mm-hmm. to want to see what happens to them, especially in this time period. I think that's what makes this such genius to be playing in this time period where you can answer all of those questions. Because, again, you you made us care about all these characters, and, and now we all want to know what happened to them. And so, you know, with the Bad Batch trying to figure out what their life is going to look like here, but especially by the end of the season, what do they want to be about? What's going to be their new purpose other than just keeping Omega alive? You know, I, I think it, it really does. They they have so much to play with. They do. And I think that it also opens the door because the, this is going to sound, it's it's an overstatement and, you know, it, it's hyperbole or whatever. But in a sense, uh, the Bad Batch fulfills the original promise of the Clone Wars series because the original mission statement of that series, if I recall correctly, was we weren't going to worry about these main characters. We were going to look at the lives of the clones and we were going to be embedded with the clones. And then, of course, you know, it changes a little bit. Instead, we get Anakin, the Anakin, Ahsoka and Obi-Wan show, which is fine. Not knocking that at all. Clone Wars is fantastic, exactly as it is. But this seems to pick up that thread and say, okay. Now that we're past this, we can focus on the clones. We can focus on the non-Force users. We'll never get away from them. Force users are a thing in the Star Wars galaxy. Therefore, they will always be there. But this is the focus on the clones, on the Empire, on the average person that so many people have been clamoring for for the longest time, sort of the same way Solo was, or even Rogue One, where it's like it wasn't about the Force users for a change. And so I I would expect this show to have been embraced from the get-go and continue to be embraced specifically because of that, because the you know we're, we're catching up with characters that we cared about that weren't center stage before, and we're also refocusing everything on non-force using characters who are the core of our show. They are the glue that moves, you know, that, that brings everything together, that the engine that moves everything forward. And so I think, I think that's a really 
interesting and important place for the show to be. And it makes me wonder that if when they were working on the Clone Wars, if the intent was to focus on the clones, that were they thinking, well, the clones are too similar. They talk alike. They kind of look alike. I mean, some of them have unique you know, personalities, but not that different from one another that now fast forward to now when they're going back to that same idea of let's focus on the clones. It's like, well, let's create this bad batch. So the characters are very unique mm-hmm. from one another. They're, they've had their own very unique personalities and styles and they stand out from the rest. So we can tell that story of the clones while having these very unique character types in it that seem very individual. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean that's a really good point, Bruce. And and I think both of you have really solidified in many ways why I think that this was a worthy successor to the, the Clone Wars in the first place. Like this is is a great place to go. Um and um it's a great way to dive into the the dark times through the eyes of of these clones and and to be able to make then all of these connections as well and so you know i i thought that was really interesting too how the series we end with camino's end and we do answer a major question for star wars fans as to what happened to camino what happened to the clones how did they get replaced um with the tk's and why we never hear from Camino again. And the Empire makes sure that we don't because it's gone. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I did not expect Camino to come to such a dramatic end so quickly. I thought we would get a little more uh, Kaminoan intrigue. Uh, not a complaint, though, because what I did was I, I actually didn't watch for a couple of weeks. And then I watched that final arc together. And I can tell you that the destruction of Camino is such a beautiful end of the second act, right? Like everything is in the worst possible place that that finale works so well, but the actual destruction of Camino, I, and the thing is, I'm going to sound like, you know, that pejorative term fanboy, but I could watch that sequence of the Venator class Star Destroyers bombarding Tipica City every day for a week and never get sick of it, maybe even longer, because the lighting, the clouds, the rain, the way the city burned and fell apart. I I wish that I could sit down with somebody who who this theoretical straw man that hasn't given the show a chance or thought the show was just okay. And just sort of sit them next to me and be like, watch this sequence. This is better animated than a lot of CG stuff you see in, you know, live action movies right now, because it is art. What happens to Camino and it's horrifying art and it's terrible art. And it's, painful to watch but i actually felt gutted because camino i remember the first time i saw it in attack of the clones 
and just being wowed by it. I was like, that is so cool looking. That's so different. That's so look at the way that their their society, like what cues are they giving me? It's so bright inside. It's so sterile. It's then they're cloners They're all of this stuff. And then we spend all of this time on the Clone Wars, learning more about how the clones come into being and and how they're treated in the caste system and all of those sorts of things. And then to see actual Caminos end is it feels like this incredible emotional coda to Revenge of the Sith that was inevitable, but I didn't think I was ever going to see. And just, I, again, when those when those Venators open up on the city and just start raining destruction on it, it's, it's such an incredible uh, feat of animation. Like it's award worthy. Just that sequence. No, I agree. I mean, I rewatched them just uh, this morning for that reason. And to prepare for this podcast, I mean, visually it's just stunning. And of course the score throughout this whole series Mm -hmm. is just wonderful too with, you know, it's callbacks to even John Williams scores. But the thing that really stood out to me that was disturbing about the scenes of them destroying Camino is that Camino is the thing that helped create the empire. It was one of the seeds that led to the creation of the empire and how evil it is that the empire then turns its back on the thing that helped create it. You know, and destroy, mm-hmm. not just turns back, but destroy it, you know? And it's like the clones and Camino, they're the things that eventually led to the Empire. All these things were there because of the Emperor, because of Palpatine. And yet we're just going to throw it away. Not just that we're just going to destroy it. We're just end it. And it's just like there's no, you know, feeling of we should honor this because it's part of us. It's like, nope, we're done with you. And we're going to get rid of you. So it just felt dark. And, and and it also it also winds up answering a question we all had uh, about Dr. Pershing in uh, The Mandalorian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we saw him in that outfit. We were like, oh, wait, is he on Camino? Short answer? No. Right. So, yes. you know, right. there you go. Well, and, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is that it's a great lesson about how evil eats itself. Yes. Like it's mm. it's always destroying itself. Um, you know, so certain parts uh of a group always end up eating another. And you know, again, I can't think of a more valid point to be showing kids about how these groups just continually feed on themselves. Um and and that's exactly what the Sith are, right? I mean, so the Sith here are the and and the Empire is just the extension of what the Sith are. Um, and so to keep yourself in power, you always have to be the one on top. Well, it it even I think um adds an you know an interesting theme or or doubles back to an interesting theme. The Kaminoans are all they're very. They're neutral. They don't care who they work for. Yeah. So, you know, Dex says, so long as you got a deep enough pocketbook, whatever, you know, as long as you can pay them, who, who cares? But then you have to understand that as a scientist, even, right? Because that's what they are at their, their heart. They're scientists who are really, really good, who are willing to do these crazy experiments. But they never stop and say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do this for this client. You know, maybe, maybe we should pass on this yeah. contract. They never say that. They say, okay, you know what? You can pay us whatever. And we we want to figure out how to make these super clones. So we want to figure out how to do all of these amazing things. And 
at the end of the day, if you enable the wrong person to then be in power, they're going to destroy you. And then they're going to take what you created to destroy everybody else. And that finds an echo in Rogue One when Krennic guns down all of the scientists yep. who helped create the Death Star. Um, and I, I love it because it's a callback to those old 1950s sci-fi movies that George Lucas watched growing up where that was a theme in the 50s because everybody felt so betrayed by the atom bomb and the threat of annihilation that you know that's a big theme in the 50s and 60s sci-fi movies is the scientists were not to be trusted they were always doing something or they were always the ones that were like no we must protect the creature for the sake of scientific advancement you know so and, and that carries all the way through to ash and the original alien of you know oh i'm just fascinated by this creature and it's like well however it's a bad thing right it, it's bad for us sort of thing and so i i just think that's um that you know, as long as you're talking about lessons for kids, I think that's a really good one to throw out there, too, so that, you know, even, even a scientifically minded kid, you can be like, yeah, but consider what you're going to do with, you know, what the person is going to do with that after you develop it. Well, and and that's, you know, I mean, we end the series with going to Wayland and Mount Tantus, you know, which if you're a Star Wars fan. You've heard of those places before in a little series called the Thrawn Trilogy and the fact that they're tying this together, which specifically does tie to the Mandalorian with Dr. Pershing to, you know, the sequel trilogy in what the Emperor is doing when it comes to cloning and understanding how to clone himself and, and all of these things. And so, I, you know you're just rife with possibility at this point of what they could do with this, especially when it comes to like the Mandalorian, the Ahsoka series, you know, are we going to be getting a Thrawn trilogy basically in that era? Um, please make it happen, please, please. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, but I, I think there, that's the beauty of the way in which, you know, John, we and and Bruce, we both we talked about the very beginning. They did their own spin on what we saw in the Canaan comic, right? So it's not exactly what we saw in the Canaan comic, but it alludes to that idea, right? Well, this alludes to all of those things that we loved in the EU, but they're doing it their way, and and that's where I think you can see such love and care here that they love their fans and they're really, they are trying to give us the things that we did love um, by working it into their stories because they loved it too. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that just excites me so much about that end and that revelation is that, yeah, this is, this is where we are in this. Like, we're we're setting up something really incredible. So, I mean, I couldn't be more excited. It, it, at its core, it's respect for a good idea. Just because you, quote unquote, did away with the EU doesn't mean it was because there were bad ideas. If right. there's a good idea in there, Thrawn, Mount Tantus, uh, uh, Death Troopers, you know, what have you. Uh, why not do it? Why not bring it back and say, hey, you know what, let's uh, let's repurpose it. And so it, basically you're not throwing out the, you know, the baby with the bathwater, as it were, 
and you're saying, okay, let's bring it in. Or, you know, Mandalorian society, you know, to, to make reference to the Mandalorian. Oh, is this totally, oh, no, wait, no, he's a sect and the Mandalorians. Oh, okay. They do still sort of operate like that when you're not talking about the, you know, the, the, the line that Bo-Katan comes from. Okay. So it all still comes together because the good ideas can still be what they are and, and, and made to serve the bigger story. Yeah. No, that's a, that's an excellent point. Um, and I, I think it, it's something that, you know, by the end of the show, I'm, I'm so excited then for where they're going to go then with uh, season two. And it, it does bring me to one last thing, which is, and we talked a little bit about the idea that we get to Crosshair's choice. And I heard some people, you know, they weren't necessarily a fan of this idea. They didn't really feel like it paid off. Um, and I wanted to ask you about how you felt about what we learn about Crosshair and the choice that he makes going forward. So I I appreciated that he stuck to his guns because I kept expecting, not literally, but I kept expecting him to, oh, he's going to go off with Clone Force 99. Like, he's going to have a change of heart. They're his brothers. He's going to go, you know, that. And so we're going to go into season two and they're all together again. But I appreciate the fact that he's sticking with the whole idea that, you know, the Empire is the right thing to do. He's following orders. That's what good soldiers do. That's his belief, and he's sticking to that belief, and the writers are keeping this character sticking to that belief and not just easily swayed to just join his brothers again and go with them. So I really appreciate the fact that even with Omega pulling at his heartstrings just a little, that, you know, you're my brother, still was not enough. He does have, I think he has feelings about them and her, but, you know, he's not necessarily wrong. If anything, he's in some ways more right than they are because he's doing what he was made to do, and that is be a soldier and follow the orders, and that's what he's doing, and he's sticking to it. I, I think that the the word you hit on right there, uh, Bruce, is why I love the choice is you said easily. They could have easily done what we were expecting, which was – Okay, first season's wrapped up. All right, let's bring everybody together and then we'll be a happy family in the next one. And then and then we can have exactly what Bruce was afraid of, where it was like, and then every episode he'll say, I don't think we should do this, but they do it anyway. Like instead, I'm legitimately curious, does Crosshair get welcomed back by the Empire? Do they trust him again? Because he, I, like there's no way anybody's going to look at that situation and say, uh wait a minute they're still out there and you're here you you didn't take any move to wipe it like tarkin is going to look at him with a hairy eyeball after that right like obviously crosshair didn't quote unquote take them out or go down with the ship for the glory of the empire and i think that that'll earn him a little bit of suspicion i could be wrong about that maybe he just gets welcomed back into the fold and and they believe whatever cover story that he has or whatever but i'm legitimately curious not just now about where the batch and Omega go, but about Crosshair himself. Mm -hmm. I'm legitimately yeah. like, well, okay, so how does that play out? Is he welcome back to the family? Does he get kicked out? Does he become a bounty hunter? Does he go off and live on Is his he own? always just like, standing there on Camino for years? Right. <laughs> <laughs> does he <laughs> ever get rescued? <laughs> he becomes a fisherman. Yeah. Does he turn into and, fish food? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. You know, it. I think the question that that is really interesting to me is the one that you are presenting, John. Is 
is he welcome back? And the problem is, is that is he ideologically ideologically pure enough for the empire at this point or is he compromised and i have a hard time saying that they're not going to see him as compromised and Mm -hmm. i think that that also jives with the thematic elements that we've seen this season and and playing off with what we're trying to teach people which is this whole idea of that um, if if you make somebody in the higher echelons uncomfortable enough, then you're not pure enough to be a part of the tribe anymore. You know, you're you're not pure enough anymore, and and so we we excommunicate you. And I wonder if he is going to end up being on his own. Um, but I also thought that the the thing that made Crosshair's choice so interesting was that it helped us see as as fans and just as people is that there are people who would choose the evil side. There will people there there are there are not people who just do it because they're brainwashed into it. There are do people that choose to do evil. They make the choice. They look into the face of evil and they say, "Nope, I'm going to be on this side." You know, and at the same time, they choose that, but they also think it's the right thing at the same time. And I think Crosshair thinks that the Empire is the right way to go, and he chooses it. And this helps us see why certain people, they're not necessarily bad. They're doing it from the best intentions, but it's a road paved to hell. And and I think that's a great lesson for, for us to see is that just because something looks gone on the outside doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be the right thing in the long run. And mm-hmm. to really then question, you know, what groups are we choosing to be with and why and what are their core beliefs mean and what would be the logical extension and where do those beliefs go and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, you know, and I think Crosshair's choice is is one that's going to come back to bite him in the butt in the end. But it's an important journey for us to go on because even if it's a tragedy of never seeing him make the turn, it's still instructive. And Star Wars, like you said, John and and Bruce, we were touching on this at the beginning with Omega. Omega is the character who which we see the world of Star Wars and we we learn all the lessons through. And we know from George, it's first 12-year-olds. And the reason Star Wars exists is to teach us moral lessons that we need to learn at the age of 12 and for the rest of our lives. And so the fact that they're kind of continuing that through the character of Crosshair here, I think, is really fascinating. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think uh, this would be uh, a hard question for any of us to answer, but maybe if, you know, if you had to give a rating out of five of the season oh. of of the Bad Batch. Where do you think you guys are? I defer to you, Mr. Gibson, I know, I'm just to go to first. Think. Yeah. Okay, so that's what? It. Mm. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I'm, 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 I'm sort of at the same point because the thing is, I know that as a fan, I have one reaction. As a critic, I might have another reaction and sort of like getting those two halves to... Uh, blend with each other is, is a tough one. As a fan, this is a five star. Like I, I, I was tuning in every week. I was excited. I was 
this, this was everything I was looking for. I, it was enough like Clone Wars that I was happy. It was enough different from Clone Wars that I was happy. It advanced all of these story and world building things. But if I'm going to stay consistent, like, is this my core question before the rating? And this is where I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Bruce, because maybe you can help me noodle this through. Is this the show I would use to try to break down, like bring somebody further into the Star Wars fold? They've just become a Star Wars fan. They're they're warming up to it. They're enjoying it. They're going along with it. Is this the one I would roll out for them and say, I got the show for you to watch? I think it could be that show. But I think that right now it's still the momentum from the Clone Wars, right? I would still say to that person, watch the Clone Wars, because that's going to tie into what, what you see on screen. I would say that this falls into that Rebels category of once I know the person has the taste for it, I'm going to bring them. So then I, I parse it down further. Would I recommend this over Rebels? First season versus first season. And so I will dodge the, you know, what star rating I have sort of thing and say, if I've gotten somebody to a certain point where they feel like they're becoming a Star Wars fan, they've watched maybe a little bit of Clone Wars, they're ready to try something new, I would, I would actually point them to Bad Batch before I would point them to Rebels and possibly even before I would point them to Mandalorian. Not because this is, you know, quote unquote, better than Mandalorian, but because I think that this is a good one for somebody who's seen at least those original six to get a sense of the world building that's happening right now. Like, and I know that that's a lot of words just to say, I love it, but I don't know. I like putting it on a scale is a near impossibility for me right now. Cause I know, I know I am so blinded by the fact that I love it, that it's, it's tough to, to make that call. Oh man, I got to follow that because you really put out a good question about this. Like, I, I, I will say this: I will answer that your question about if bringing somebody who's just sort of new to Star Wars, would I bring them to this? It also depends what it is that they've seen in Star Wars and what they liked about it. Mm-hmm. I do agree that this should follow Clone Wars, but I also think that it doesn't have to. Because if somebody were watching the prequel trilogy and said, I really enjoyed that. And right now today, if they said, you know, what Mm. should I be watching now? Should I be watching this new show that just came out recently? I would say, yeah, you can do that. And maybe go back and watch the Clone Wars later after the first season. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it's required that you have to watch the Clone Wars. I think you can easily go from episodes one, two, and three into the Bad Batch and it still work. I think you're right. I think you're right because Order 66 will be very fresh exactly. in your head. So in a sense, that is a brilliance of the show that I hadn't considered is that you can, in fact, leapfrog the Clone Wars as something that we all consider so vital to Star Wars fandom. Yeah, actually, the show is even better now in my ex- estimation because of the fact that they start with that Order 66. That is the perfect pickup point for us to know what's going on and clone wars is the long-term commitment 
because we you sort of have to go back to the beginning and, and build your way out. Whereas this, you you're right, Bruce. You can come straight in from episode three and just come right into this. And you've spent time with the clones. You've gotten enough of the sense of the clones and they explain enough about how the clones work in this. Yeah, you're right. Like my estimation of this just actually went up even more if that were possible uh, because of that. Good, good call. Because it shows that the, the, the greatness about this series and some of the others is that they can stand alone, that they don't, you don't have to have the others to watch them, you know? So that works really well. And if anything that's also come out of this, you know, we've been talking about, oh, now we know what happens to Camino. Now we know what happens to the clones. But then new questions come up because I'm wondering what's going to happen to Clone Force 99? What's going to happen to Omega? We never see them in future things. Mm, so now I'm point. curious to know how this series is going to end because are these characters going to live past this series? What happens to them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and that was the beauty of what the Clone Wars did, too. And I, I think, you know, um, when it comes to, you know, kind of like ratings or anything, uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about with this show is how, you know, I, I was kind of thinking, how do I rate it like with first seasons of Star Wars shows? And I think that this series might have had the strongest first season next to the Mandalorian. I agree. Like they're very, very uh, strong. Yeah, I agree with that. There's very few episodes where you like, you're like, eh, I didn't think, um, I feel like what they've done is that they've refined what they've learned from previous you know, series that they've done and, and they really yeah. tried to make sure that every single episode mattered and, and, and at the same time was also laying foundations for what's to come, which I think is important as well. Yep. And so I think they've done a really good job here with this season. You know, I, I would say, I mean, you know, I'll give it a rating. If I have to give it a rating, I'd probably give it four and a half out of five. And mainly that's because I always think there's room for improvement. Um, and I think that there were um, maybe a couple of episodes in the middle where during the episode, I kind of thought, I wonder what the point of this episode is. And then I did have to remind myself that we are in the first season of a show, which means we're laying the foundation for the rest of the series, right? In the same way that Rebels did that, right? I had to remember Star Wars Rebels. I did not like the first season of Rebels very much at all. In retrospect, the first season of Rebels is much better because so much of it came into play in the rest of the season. There wasn't half as much of that in this season, but there were still a couple of times where I just thought, ah, okay, I, I see what they're doing. They're, they're, they're building towards the future. And, and I was okay with that. So I, yeah, I love this show. And you know what? I love the fact that we're still using the same animation uh, from the Clone Wars. I think it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's gotten even better from the the last season. So all in all, it's a fantastic show. And I can't wait, you know, for them to get to season two and uh, see how they just continue to blow the doors off. So, um, but uh, guys, you know, uh, love that uh, we got a chance to sit around and talk Star Wars again. It's always nice to have this group back to do that. It, it just reminds me of the good old days. Uh, and so, you know, Bruce, if if people wanted to maybe catch up with you and, and see what else you've got going on in places, where can they find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And you can also find me occasionally on Literary Treks with you, Matt. We've been doing some books on there. I've been joining you for that. And also I do a podcast with Dan Gunther called Positively Trek, which is all things Star Trek, including books and comics and episodes and movies or whatever it is, you name it. We'll probably cover it at some point. And then, of course, I'm occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast, which is wrapping up uh, probably by May. So the show's going to close its doors when we reach episode 501, the 501st episode. Oh, <laughs> oh that's sad. Life goes on. We have to move on. Riley Blanton's got yeah. other things happening in his life. So, But who knows? It might evolve into something else. Are we going to see the logo burn away? And it'll be uh, the, the next yes, series. Yes, it'll burn away. It will be called have... The Bruce Batch. Ooh, <laughs> I like this. I like this. Instant subscription right there, Bruce. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, you can find me as Kessel Junkie out there on your social network of choice. Uh, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, connect with me on Letterboxd. I, I, I write uh, pithy and I think sometimes funny reviews of movies. Uh, and you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, co-hosting two shows. Uh, one show is called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors from various different facets, either by decade, if they have a long career, by complete body of work, if they've just been around for a decade. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, like what we're doing with Spielberg, where we look at one movie from each decade that's a little bit off the beaten path that people wouldn't expect us to look at. So that that's a fun show. That's House Lights over on the Nerd Party. And of course, speaking of the Nerd Party, the show that probably I'm known for best, which is Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast that I co-host with one Mr. Matthew rushing over on the Nerd Party. You lucky son of a gun. Uh, of course, you could find mm, me lucky. over on... All the social media platforms that I'm on, pretty much most of them, I, I've got the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. So please uh, find me there, follow me there, or interact with me. I'd love to talk to you. You can also find me uh, here on the network doing literary treks uh, with Bruce every once in a while, as well as Chris Jones. Uh, talk about the books and comics of Star Trek, The Orb. Talk about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Uh, guys, you know Chris and I. Honestly, we just met tonight uh, before started recording with the guys we got some great stuff we're planning for the network so make sure you check it out you can also find me over on the nerd party network finish a show with drea kaufman called owl post where we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time but you know what thank you so much for joining us until next time may the force be with you Thank you.